Glad you're at Waypoint this week. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. And if, if you're coming for the first time, we're about to start a four-week series. And the best way I can describe this is I'm going to ask you to go into deep water with me without a life preserver. And I, I told the first service that, and I don't think they believe me because we got to the end of it, and it ended. And there was the sense of like, are you kidding? That's where you're leaving us? Deep water, no life preserver. You may struggle with this. There's, um, there's value in it, okay? How did we get here? Well, I've been asked the question uh, most of my life that I know I have a very dissatisfying answer to. Um, people will ask me, Blair, what's your favorite? And my standard answer to that is, I don't think like that. I did, and it's, it, people hate it, my dear wife, who will try to like, find out things about my life and start a conversation with me by saying, what's your favorite? And my response is, I don't think that way with me. That doesn't go over very well, but I like a lot of things. I like a lot of different foods. I like traveling to a lot of different places. I like a lot of different movies. I, I don't think that way, and yet I know it's dissatisfying, and so I've, I've kind of dealt with that over the years by sometimes picking things just to calm people down, right? So when I was younger, people would ask me, what's your favorite color? I don't care about colors. That's not an acceptable answer. So I picked black, and I did it for this reason. It was the only color that's not a color, right? I was trying to be rebellious in the choice. My wife will bring stuff to me now and go, look, it's in your favorite color. I'll be like, thank you. Don't tell her, right? Um, it's not. It's just what I've said. Same thing has happened as a pastor, Blair, what's your favorite book of the Bible? <laughs> I, it, because I know it's really dissatisfying to people, I've come up with a standard answer. I'll say James in the New Testament, and I'll say Ecclesiastes in the Tanakh, or if you understand it's the Old Testament, it's that. And it's not like it's my favorite, but that way you'll at least calm down. Now, the reason it even made it on that list is when I was young, I spent a lot of time in Ecclesiastes. I don't know why it fascinated me so much. Maybe because it felt like there were parts of it that were dark at times. I think it was full of wisdom. It was always a challenge. I felt like I was always challenged when I got in there to understand what was going on and then to find a way to make that work in my life and it always uh, kind of intrigued me. And so when the opportunity came up for us to consider a book, I thought maybe we should do Ecclesiastes, because maybe it can be a thing that could challenge us. I just had no idea. Uh, where, where I'm at right now is I'm about to take you into deep water without a life preserver, right? And it's because I've taught a lot of stuff on life purpose over the years, and I still believe all of that. But I'm adding a layer of understanding based on what I'm reading here that's really challenging me. I'm really wrestling with it personally, and I'm hoping that the same thing will happen with you. That as we get into this, and we're not gonna get very far this week, but as we get into this, you'll start to understand that there's a different way to think about how you live. That's where we're gonna go. The book of Ecclesiastes, most scholars would agree, was written by Solomon. He's a king. And this is important for us because we know a couple things about him. At the time of its writing, he would have been the wisest person that lived. God gave him that as a gift. And so he had, he had an abundant amount of wisdom. He had glory. The guy's a king. He had wealth. 
He had whatever he wanted. But he also had a unique position. Because as king, with all this power, with all this money, with all of this brilliant wisdom, he could pursue glory like nobody else. He could pursue it. Um, this idea of glory you're going to see coming up in Ecclesiastes as a main theme. It's, it's, a, it's about how mankind goes out and pursues it. I was listening uh, to a band that we've sometimes played some of their music, and I actually came across one of their songs. It's actually called Glory. The band is called The Score, and they were playing this song called The Glory, and these guys were belting out that they were doing everything in life for the glory, like unabashedly saying it, saying stuff like, we're not gonna let anything stand in our way, we're gonna crawl through things, we're gonna climb over stuff, and we're gonna get our glory. And as I listened to that song, I thought, I've never heard anybody say that. But I've watched a lot of people live that way. I've watched a lot of people care about how others think about them, how they'll be seen. And so they try to manage that in a way so that they can get glory by the way people look at them and talk about them. Watch people care about the credit that gets given based on what they do or how they do it. And they want that credit. And so they go out of their way to make sure they're gonna get it. Watch people care about being a distinct person. Like they wanna be such an individual so that they stand out and they're noticed. In our culture, I hear a lot of people talking about making a difference with their lives. And it's in essence saying, there's a whole bunch of people who don't. They don't care about it. They're just going about their life, making some money, but I'm gonna be special. I'm gonna do this in a way that makes a difference. And it starts to be about the glory that we gather for ourselves. Well, Solomon's gonna have some things to say about that. As a writer who's in a unique position to gather glory for himself, He's about to give us his thesis on this in the second verse of chapter one. And he says this, meaningless, meaningless, just in case you missed it the first time, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. If somebody said that in our culture today, we would medicate them, right? We'd give them some happy pills, send them off and say, Dude, get better, you're not right. Something's wrong with you. Um, Solomon's goal is not to find a way to depress us. He's asking us to wrestle with some really hard stuff here. And what he's saying is, listen, I've looked. I've looked at life. I want you to be reassured that I've assessed everything that I could assess and based on the wisdom that I have and my ability to gather in glory, I can tell you it's all meaningless, which is an incredible thing for him to say. A guy with all power, all wealth, fame, saying, listen, this stuff that we grab on to pull for ourselves, it's meaningless. This is a big deal because he's warning us. The warning is this simple. If you're not careful and you don't adjust your course in life, you could end up doing what everybody else does, grabbing glory for yourself. You'll get to the end of your life and find out that what you've been scrapping for this whole time is worthless to you. 
is of no value. This is kind of important in the culture that we live in right now. I don't know if you understand what's happening in our culture. Um, It used to be just a couple demographics that they were concerned about, that the suicide rate was going up on. But over the last 15 years, the suicide rate in the U.S. has gone up over 30%. And I know it's more complex. I know there's mental illness and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's very possible I talk to people who are in this depressive states over this stuff where they have pursued something with their life and realized I'm never gonna get that. I'm never gonna get the thing that I really want the most. And they become disillusioned with life. And I've talked to others who did. Like they pursued it and they got it. And when they found out that it was meaningless, they weren't sure what to do with all of that. And it started to break them. This this is serious stuff that we're talking about. And so Solomon is waiting in here and he's saying, listen, I want you to be careful. Because if you pursue some things with your life that are hollow, it will leave you empty. And your whole life will end up utterly meaningless. Now to help us with this, he decides to go all in on an experiment. I told you he was in a unique position. He had power, he has resources, He could do this. He's going to give himself fully to the things that he sees in his culture as to giving purpose and meaning to his life. And nothing's going to stand in his way. He he tells us this in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes, verse 1. He says, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I'm going to look and see at what my culture says is giving purpose and meaning. So he's looking at people's lives. He's a wise guy. He can figure it out. He can see what chunks of people are doing that they believe is going to give them meaning and purpose in their lives. And based on that, he's going to outperform them. He's going to go over the top. And he's going to start to accumulate real life experiences. This is not a thought experiment for Solomon. He's going to actually do this with his life so that when he says this is meaningless, He's speaking from an experience that he paid a price to get. Now what's interesting is he's gonna start making a list for us of the things that he pursues. What I find fascinating about this is this is 3,000 years ago. So maybe you're thinking, maybe 3,000 years ago, they're pursuing some different things than we would pursue now. But I'm gonna ask you to, we're gonna put the list up as we go. And I want you to ask yourself, okay, this happened 1000 BC. Is it still something that's going on in our culture today? Okay, we're gonna start to get the list. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse two, he says, he pursues laughter. He's pursuing pleasure. Whatever makes him happy, that's what he's gonna do. Verse three, he's gonna pursue wine. Like maybe, maybe what I really need is this thing that's on the outside of me that if I can put into me some sort of substance, that substance will take my life to another level and I'll experience meaning and purpose because of this. There's the first two. Any, any radical difference in the two cultures over this period of time? I think you're gonna find that all of these are pretty much similar. In verse four, He says he pursues projects. 
like meaningful stuff that makes a difference in his world. Grand palaces, these things that will stand with time, right? He's gonna build these things that have purpose. And not just there, he starts building um, natural things, orchard groves. He builds water reserves that can water the trees. Like he goes all in. At the same time, he's a developer and a hippie, right? And he goes to the, the extremes, we have those in our culture. Verse seven says he starts to gather possessions and it spills into verse eight and it's wealth, possessions and wealth. See, he, he gathers in a lot of gold and a lot of silver, but he realizes that maybe it's not just possessing the finances, it's the stuff that you can buy with them that really makes you happy and so he goes out and he starts acquiring and he's, he's getting more slaves, he's building bigger um, bigger businesses, he's doing all of this so he can say, look, look at what I've got. My wealth and possessions are getting it done. In the middle of verse eight, he says he goes out and he gathers some singers. Maybe that's it, right? It's not all this other stuff. It's this thing that moves your heart and your soul that you can't fully explain, the artistic world. That's where meaning and purpose is found. And so he goes out and he gathers musicians so that he can do that as well. Verse eight, said he, he gathers a harem. I knew, I didn't understand that people didn't know what a harem was. I was corrected last service. It's a group of people that you have as concubine wives. See, he's got um, the scriptures, or not the scriptures, history suggests that maybe he had 800 of these. And he, he did that so that he could pursue sex whenever he wanted to. He's king. You can't say no to him. What he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And he goes for it. And he pursues sex. Not in chapter two, but all through Ecclesiastes. You're gonna hear him refer to the work that he does. He was a ruler, he was building an empire. And it was a pretty grand empire. He signed treaties, had trade alliances, had all kinds of stuff going on. And, and he was known as a man of wisdom. His work mattered. And then... Then the last one, I think, shows up in verse eight. I think it's a weird one, but I think it's there. I think he gathered affirmation for himself. Listen to what he says in verse nine. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. How would you know that? Because he's comparing himself. He's looking around and going, this is what these guys all did, and this is what I've done, and I'm better than all of them. I'm better on everything that counts. I've got more wealth, I've got more possessions. I've built bigger buildings. I've, I have more sex than all of those people. I've got it. And he gathers affirmation. Listen, they, everybody would have had the same values in this culture and Solomon's outperforming. They would have loved him doing well because their boat would have gone higher too would have risen with his tide. And so they all would have been affirming who he was and he's just gathering it in. And, and the scriptures tell us that these things that he's pursuing, he didn't withhold anything from himself. Says it in verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Have you ever heard anybody say, the people who say money can't buy you happiness are people without money. You can't say that about Solomon. 
Solomon's got it all. There's been no boundaries for him, and he went for it. And we saw the conclusion that he drew starting right in chapter one. It's all meaningless. This is utterly meaningless. But I want you to understand how it made him feel. Because he, he gives us some insight into that. It comes out in verse 17. He says this. So I hated life. Are you kidding? Solomon had the American dream before the American dream was a thing. He was a Middle Eastern success story. In his lifetime, there would not be a single war that he would have to wage. Signed treaties, had wealth, had wives, you name it, he had it. And his conclusion? I hated life. It sounds a little bit like our country, wealthiest in the history History of all time. Our poor people are wealthy. And yet we still struggle with an increasing suicide rate. And I get it. I know it's more complicated. But I think there's part of this that happens that people get to a place where they just hate life. And what I love about this is I think Solomon's a little more honest than we are because he says this out loud. I hate life. Maybe sometimes we say it under our breath for small things. Like I hate this situation that I'm in. I hate this role that I have to do. I hate this responsibility that I have to, that I have to manage. I hate this tension, this conflict that I'm involved with right now. I, re I hate this. And sometimes, honestly, we don't even say that. We don't even whisper it out loud. All we do is think it. But it's real for us. And it was real for Solomon and he was willing to say out loud, the pursuit of all of these things. Remember, he said everything. Well, what everything is he talking about? What, what Solomon was talking about was everything that gave us value, everything that pulls value to our lives, that we think elevates us, that makes us better, that is meaningless. When it's all about us, it misses the point. And then he tells us why he got to the place where he was so miserable and hated life. This is in verse 18. He said, I hated all of the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Here's the truth. Solomon had figured out that it didn't matter if he had more money than everybody else. Didn't matter if he had more wisdom than everybody else. It didn't matter if he was having more sex than everybody else. That at the end of the day, he was gonna die. And none of that was gonna matter. It was all gonna be washed away. That song that I told you about that I was listening to where they were talking about how they do it for the glory Nothing was gonna stop them from having the glory. There was a, there was a line three quarters of the way through that song that was riveting. I, I couldn't believe that it was there. I, I wanna read it to you. Um, they said this. When all is left is dust, they'll remember. Oh, they'll remember us. 
No, they will not. I'm 100 years away from being completely forgotten, probably faster than that, completely forgotten from the annals of history. No one will say my name. No one will think about me. No one will think about the deeds that I've done or the things that I've gathered for myself. They will be gone. The same is true for you. And if you doubt me, let's just do this real quick. What's your great-great-grandfather's name? What job did he have? What kind of character did he possess? Did he make a difference in the world? What about your great-great-grandmother? The role that she did for her family, did she do it because that was all that was available for her at the time, or was she really satisfied with that? What kind of character did she have? Did she make any difference in the world at all? See, I do believe, I do believe that the people that we live with, they touch our lives, they leave marks on us, and that can create a ripple through time in a, in a, in a way. But I, I think this is more the truth. I think it would have been better if they would have ended that song by saying, when all is left is dust, they'll sneeze. That's it. Right? They're, they're not going to remember us. They're just going to go like this. And we think, and this is the trap, right? We think if we can just go out there and we'll gather fame like the Kardashians, right? They're known for being known. And if we could do that, if we could have enough fame, maybe we could get ourselves into the history books and we're going to be around for a while. Or maybe we'll Bill Gate it. We're going to do so well. We're going to gather in so much money. We're going to do something that makes a difference in the world that somebody's going to remember us. What happens, though? What happens, though, when they stop teaching American history? That's going to happen. You realize that, right? The Romans thought they were going to be around forever. The Chinese dynasties thought they were going to be around forever. It's not how it works. Listen, I know you're in deep water right now. And, and I want you to be there because the reason Solomon is telling us this is not to lead you to a place of depression. In fact, here, let me say this real clearly. If you stopped reading Ecclesiastes after the first two chapters, you're probably in trouble. Don't do that, all right? We have a lot more that we have to get to, and over the next few weeks, we're gonna get to that. But it has to start with a reality check because what's valued in our culture is that we will go out there and get our glory, get your piece of the pie, do it for yourself because you'll be remembered, you'll make a mark, you'll make a difference. And the truth is, when you gather glory for yourself, it ends up being meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything that's about glory for ourselves is utterly meaningless. It's a different story when it comes to God's glory, and we're gonna get to that over time. But until you can face fully in the mirror, it's sobering. I've lived half of my life. It's over. I have another half left if, if I actually live to 100. And then that time will be gone. And the truth is, this life is a scratch. It's a, it's a blip on the radar of what eternity is. 
And how we live it here gives us a start into our eternity. And if you invest in meaningless stuff, what good is that start? And so my challenge for you over this next week is to just have an honest conversation, an honest conversation like Solomon would have. What are you gathering for yourself? Where are you doing that? How are you doing that? Do you hate life? Have you gotten to a place where you're really struggling right now? It could be that the thing that you're pursuing isn't worth it in the first place and you should be taking a different tact. And over the next few weeks, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to talk to you about what Solomon saw as he piled on the glory to his own life. I hope you'll come back. Can I pray with you? God, I understand how sobering this is. Uh, we like to talk about life and how to live it to the full. And ultimately, that's what Solomon cares about too. Because so many of the things that we see as living life to the full, they're just distractions. They are side journeys that mess with us. And so I just asked that you would help us to have an honest assessment of where we're at in our lives, of what we're pursuing, of what we're piling on, of the glory that we see as being valuable to us. I ask that you would give us wisdom in that process and the courage to be honest like Solomon. Here's what I'm pursuing. This is where it's getting me. God, I ask that you would walk that journey with us. That as we're out there swimming in the deep water, we'll find you next to us, talking to us, encouraging us to stick at it because there's something good here. Love you. I ask you to help us to figure out this life that we're living in Jesus' name. Amen.